Thank you for listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from one of our Kingdom Conferences. Howdy, howdy. All right, y'all want to hear a funny story? This ain't the time. I got my prophet hat on. Normally, I'm a nice guy. Um, I got a word for the house. Um, the night of worship and uh, I got it in an unusual way because Stephen the cop I didn't know if he was going to arrest me if I didn't give him the information he wanted or what he was asking about how come to, how to have a financial breakthrough in his life how many need a financial breakthrough in your life Okay, how many don't need a financial breakthrough but you want an increase to give more all right, that's the guys I want. Because what most of you that need a breakthrough haven't been doing what you're supposed to anyway. I told you I had my hat on. The scripture I said the other night. There was a there was a wise man who had the wisdom to save a city, but because he was poor, his words could not be heard. This house cannot be poor because you're supposed to have a word for the city that the city can hear. That's great for the house. Individually, you need the same thing. And I'm here to tell you that just go ahead and get your wallet out. Get it in your hands because I'm going to talk to your money. I'm going to talk to your wallet. I'm going to expose some things. I'm not going to take anything out of it. That's up to you. Put your checkbook. Let me tell you how I learned this. I preached on money one time in Hornell, New York, and laid hands on everybody's wallet. And, man, I just, I have, in, in, you know, anointing and insight. And I, I, I went home that weekend and bounced a $10,000 check. I was mad as a hornet. Told God, that stunk. I'm never preaching on money again. And so for almost a year, I was mad. I ain't never going to preach on money, even though I have an anointing for it. End of the year, the bookkeeper of that church calls me up. She goes, we were just having our business meeting, and we looked at our finances, and it, like, went up four times on this date and stayed there. That was the day you prayed over our wallets. I hung up, hung up the phone. I'm like, dang it, it worked. You know what the Lord said? He said, I can't help it. You're too stupid to not walk in your own anointing. The other scripture I gave Stephen, and, and I think I shared it publicly, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. That's in the Bible. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich, or bird of the air will carry your voice and some winged creature will tell the matter. If you curse rich people, God can't make you rich. If you curse kings, you never be able to walk in authority as a king. So stop judging people. <laughs> I had this crazy prophet in my car one day, and, and, and my state farm agent comes by in about $150,000 Porsche. I like Porsches. This idiot goes, look at that. Do you know how much money he could give to missions? I looked at him and said, you don't even know who that man is. I said, 
He spent $125,000 on a light, fi- light fixtures for his house when he built it. He gives about $40,000 a month to missions. God trusts him with a Porsche. And you're cursing the rich man, and you're broke as snot. That's what it's saying right here. Then I, I left, I, I said those scriptures, but then I gave him an assignment that I had to go home, and God started speaking about this house. When Nehemiah rebuilt the temples and built the walls, there was a situation that one of the priests had put um, to Tobias, Tobias, whatever his name is. And he, he made an apartment in the treasury where the grain offering and all of the money should be stored to feed and to support the priest. He made an apartment out of it. And Nehemiah kicked him out. And listen, as you're holding your wallet, you just need to ask the Lord, if I, I built an apartment where it should be a storehouse, am I living comfortable in something that shouldn't be that way? Oh, this is good preaching. You need to kick the Tobiah out of your storehouse. Would you pay your tithes, you pay your offerings, do you pray over it with faith and expect an increase? This house is coming into a building. You're going, the, the, the money's going to be needed to build what God called you to, meet, to, to build, has he not? Then there's, there's going to be some very wealthy people rise up from among you because God doesn't want outside money to come. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to have finances. He wants you to get bonuses. He wants you to live comfortable enough that when you give, your kids don't feel like they were without. That's wealth. And I'm telling you, God wants to raise money through his people. Lord told me I wanted to be in full-time ministry. I've been working for about a year and a half because I had gone bankrupt. And I finally had enough money to buy new socks and underwear. But my desire was in full-time ministry. And the Lord says, you are in full-time ministry. Get over it. And he says, if you'll, if you'll keep doing what I'm doing, I'll pay your house off in three years. And uh, two years and two months into it, I had only made house payments. And I went to a Chris Valentin. I was at a conference with, preaching with Chris Valentin. He gets up, oh, man, some guy came and paid off my mortgage. I'm like, God, that's what you promised me. Right? And I said, I know you're no respecter of person, and you told me in three years, and you're, you're like down to eight months now. And he says, yeah, but you're not Chris Valentin. I said, wait a minute, you're no respecter of person. He says, no, Chris believed me when I asked him to partner with favor. You and Susie said your dad needed to die to get your inheritance to do it. So why don't you and Susie take some communion, go to that hotel, repent, and take the death sentence off your father. And watch what I can do. I'm I'm giving you some keys here, guys. In seven and a half months, everything I touched turned to gold, and I paid my house off. I'm debt-free. I'm still debt-free. In seven and a half, you can't do that unless you partner with favor. And listen to me, favor ain't fair. Not when Jesus looks on you and goes, oh, look at this. 
I'm not that good of a salesman, but the money came in. Okay? Now, here's, here's, here's a warning. All right. I'm a prophet, but I'm, I'm Uncle Charlie today. Um, no manipulation. All faith. I know you all think, who in the world would manipulate? Well, listen, I'm a prophet who I don't normally like to just say, yes, Jesus. I like to test him. And so I didn't know how to give this word to the house. No manipulation. And so last night we left, and I have a rental car, and uh, Tim Taylor tried to run me over because the taillights weren't working. And so that was our conversation that, well, I'm sitting... (laughs) I'm sitting here right now, this morning, and the Lord says, are you going to get up and warn them, no manipulation for money. I want to give them favor to raise it within the house and show them who I am. No manipulation. I said, you're serious? He goes, yeah, kind of like what you're doing to your rental car. If you notice, I got up and walked out in the parking lot. I said, what do you mean? He said, you have conjured in your mind to yell at that lady at National rental car and get some money back i did i thought mm-hmm them car and taillights not working i could have got hurt they owe me about 200 bucks is that manipulation yeah especially since he said go he says i <laughs> he said um next time turn your lights on dude and we talked about it listen i went out there turned the lights on. i'm like dang it i didn't turn the lights on not only did I not have taillights, I didn't have no headlights. <laughs> but what was going in my head was manipulation. I can get me a couple hundred bucks. I don't need a couple hundred bucks. I need integrity. I'm telling you guys, I see money all over the house. Why? Because you're supposed to be a voice to the city. You've got people that understand money. But I'm telling you, faith and favor will increase each household to the extent that God gets the glory. And you're going, you're, I, I'm, I'm telling you, God is going to bring the finances in through you individually and corporately, but no manipulation. Charlie. So let's take an offering. Oh, come on, y'all. Let... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, they know I'm sarcastic. <laughs> but take it seriously, right? Where are you going, Mr. Thornton? Oh. <laughs> well, you about to speak, Bubba. Okay, we're going to take an offering. <laughs> Suddenly. We're going to pray for a second for each other then because... He's up next. I ain't joking. Um, yeah, yeah, just just put your hand on your wallet. Father God, I thank you for supernatural wisdom. Father, I thank you that your principles start with one principle and one truth, and you add zeros to it. So I'm asking you for your people to catch catch your favor, catch 
your principles of increase. Supernaturally, Lord, I ask you to bring finances in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. I ask for crop failure for bad decisions and bad stewardship. I cancel the assignment of, and, of the bad seed, and I speak new seed being sown, sown into every household. I command debt to decrease and wealth to increase. Lord, actually, as the wealth increases, let peace become a greater guide on even their purchases in Jesus' name. Amen. That's so good. Come on, why don't you all celebrate that right now? Come on. Here's the thing. Years ago, when we began to move into the Spirit, um, for those that don't know, when we were planted as a church in 2007, we're actually coming up on our 16th anniversary in May. Uh, we, I did not believe in the move of the Spirit one bit. I was a cessationist, and I was very legalistic about it, and I was very effective in slicing and dicing. I think you, th- you guys think I'm a nice guy. I was not a nice guy when it came to the th- move of the Spirit. And we had an encounter with Jesus in 2010 with the Holy Spirit and got really set with the Lord on what it means to walk with the Lord in the kingdom. And, the, and we baptized in the Spirit and began to turn the church. Uh, and talking about manipulation, they were afraid of abuses and misuses that they'd seen out there. And they said, so therefore, we need to be very careful in the way that we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the move of the Spirit. We don't need to have manifestations. If somebody's over here shaking, we need me to make them stop because somebody's going to think it's weird or they're afraid and all this different stuff. And the Lord began to talk to me really simply in an analogy is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. See, the enemy is always going to counterfeit, and he will only counterfeit what is valuable. Right? They don't counterfeit $1 bills. It's not worth the time or the effort. There's not the value there. So the enemy's always going to counterfeit. And so when we began to move in the Spirit, we made a determination is we're going to demonstrate the authentic move of the Holy Spirit, free of manipulation, just going back to that word, and free of being able to feel like we have to kind of hedge our bets with what it looks like. I'm going to tell you what the Lord's been doing in my heart in the area of finances. Um, My oldest daughter is is 19 years old. I knew the Lord had called me to full-time ministry the entirety of my life. But because I had an orphan heart and a poverty mindset, I told the Lord this, I will take care of the finances, but I'll serve you anywhere you tell me. And, And Kelly and I did. We ran ministries, volunteer ministries at Community Bible Church in San Antonio for years. Gave hours and hours and hours serving in full-time ministry, but in my heart it said, Lord, but I'm going to take care of the finances because I need to make sure I provide for my wife and my kids. I missed the first year of my daughter's life because I was working 110, 120 hours a week, trying to make our businesses work because I had made a bargain with the Lord. You take care of the ministry, I'll take care of the finances. And he says, okay, we'll see how that works. When she was one years old, we had uh, went through a, a crisis and, and the Lord got a hold of my heart and says, are you ready to do it my way now? Are you willing to trust me 100% completely with everything, every part of you? And so I sold my business, and I made a, I made a vow at that point that says, um, I'm never going to manipulate God for finance again. I'm always going to trust him. And I took lineage for business, and I said, I'm never going to do business again because when I tried to do business, I tried to do it my way, and I set it aside, and then we came into this place where it's like, okay, Lord, so now I'm going to serve you in ministry, and I'm going to trust you fully with everything, and the Lord came back around two years ago and says, all right, are you ready to pick up that business thing again? And I said, well, wait a minute. 
I told you that I tried to do it my way, and you said, would you trust me with your finances? He says, yeah, I had to get your heart to the place where you would never think it was you or the one that was doing it, but you would trust me and allow the anointing. You don't just carry an anointing for preaching the gospel. You don't just carry an anointing for healing the sick. You carry an anointing for business and entrepreneurship and expansion. It's time for you to get back your mindset of what it looks like to be a kingdom man in the city. And so I'm just going to tell you, the Lord's been dealing with me because I, I had a fear. I'm just going to say I did have a fear of manipulation of finances because I have seen abuse and misuse of the prosperity gospel and all that mess that's out there. And even the way that we do offerings here, we take up one offering a month. I'm never going to put the place where it's manipulation of you got to give to get or any of the mess. And let me use the scriptures to manipulate you to get the money out. But in that word, it's challenged me saying is that, that we as a house, it's time to grow up from that because even that, what we've been doing is a poverty mindset. Because it's saying as if we have to be afraid to talk about money, as if that's evil. And suddenly we're going to slip into heresy or we're going to slip into manipulation because we talked about finance. And the Lord just said, when you're talking about it, he says, in the same way you stood up here and it says, I will not compromise the move of the Holy Spirit. He says, you better be a statement of what actually prosperity looks like, free manipulation. You hear what I'm saying? And so th- this is what we're stepping into because when Isabel and Thrown were here in November, and you didn't know this, she gave us a specific word that says this, the Lord is going to prosper the house in a way that your city is going to come to you in a time of financial crisis and need, and you will be a storehouse to your city. We're not going to do that if we're underneath an old model of, was it, is the tithe underneath the law or is it under grace or any of that mess? Who gives a rip? That's training wheels. How about we come into total trust with him and let him prosper you. Let him, do you know the Jews who don't even believe in Jesus? You know why? Because they believe they're the head and not the tail. They believe they're a blessing. They believe the promises of Abraham. And the Lord continues to honor his covenant with Abraham by blessing them. And they don't know that Jesus is the Messiah. And all I'm saying is, is what about us stepping into the fullness of what this looks like? Yeah, come on. I don't I can't hold this back. Guys, this is the whole reason why we're doing Love New Braunfels. When the Lord gave us the vision for Love New Braunfels, he showed me a vision of us pouring out into the neighborhood because we need to break poverty off the city. To take the city, to take the region, we got to take the city. We got to take the city, we got to take our own neighborhood and our own backyard. Whether they come to Legacy or not, we were going to break off poverty. This area right here is the poverty. I mean, New Braunfels as a city is a wealthy city, okay? But this area right here has a stronghold in it. And so the Lord said, you're going to break poverty by being being generous. We're going to show generosity and break the spirit of poverty. And that's exactly what happened. We had people pulling out money, giving us, we're fighting off people going, we don't want your money. This is not a fundraiser. We're not, we just want to bless you. We just want to love you and declare that Jesus is Lord. That's it. Like we just want to be a financial blessing to you to just break off that poverty. And then generosity began to spread because they started to pour out money and to give money. And we're like, well, that's just going to pay for more car washes or whatever. But that 
that's what we were doing. And I was sitting there right now as, as they were sharing, and the Lord started to remind me, and, and I'm, I asked Chris to go back and look. But all through COVID, guys, when we shut down, our finances continued to grow. And the Lord just told me it's because we broke poverty off the neighborhood because we were a generous house, and we are a generous house. You know, percentage-wise, there are more givers in this house than most churches in the United States. Like, we are givers. We are generous here. And that's because we're going to another level now. And I feel like the Lord is bringing this back around. Even the timing of this is not an accident because this is the timing of the Lord that we're going to stew. We have stewarded well here. We have stewarded well here, but it is time to go to a next level. And the Lord just said it and he said it out of Jay's mouth again. Kingdom entrepreneurship is what has been imparted into my blood since 2018. He has not let me let it go. Honestly, 2016, I got a word from Sean Boltz, and we're like supposed to be influencing millionaires and billionaires, and I'm laughing going, okay, I don't know any, God. Like, I'm just a little therapist trying to build this coaching practice, trying to figure out entrepreneurship online, blah, blah, blah. And then I get a very specific word about becoming an online social media entrepreneur that I'm going to be training up people and be a business consultant, a prophetic consultant to millionaires and billionaires. And I have no idea what that means. I'm going to tell you right now on the journey, 2018, met Pedro Adeo, who's the founder of Kingdom Entrepreneurship. He is known as the challenge guy. Like he is a multimillionaire now. And God took him out of obscurity, and into this place of influence. And I've been able to minister on his team. I can call him friend. I know a millionaire now, guys. Like, I'm just telling you, I had no concept of that before, but it's only because God is saying, he said, favor ain't fair. That's exactly what we say in that movement, which is why we've been trying to build kingdom entrepreneurs in this house. How many words have been released in this house about kingdom entrepreneurship? That's why I started that workshop all over again. We tried this, what, four years ago, five years ago? Because, you know, prophets tend to do things a little bit ahead of time and not always in the right season, I guess. So, you know, we tried and, you know, didn't. But I'm just telling you right now, that's why he brought it back around again. That's why we did the workshop is to inspire and encourage you guys in this house. Now, I'm just telling you right now, the third Monday of the month at 6 o'clock, I'm in this little portable over here waiting for people to show up. I'm poor. I charge thousands of dollars for business consulting. And I'm doing this for free. Why? Because the Lord said so. And I've had, what, four people show up the last two months. Now, we haven't really announced it necessarily, in all fairness, because part of that for me was like, I did the workshop, I announced it, I'm sending out email reminders to those that signed up and came. I'm waiting for the hungry. And I hear the Lord saying that. I'm waiting for the hungry. I'm waiting for the hungry. What do you want? I'm waiting for the hungry. You want me? I'm coming. Here we go. Like whatever it is that you're, that you're aching for. But this wealth thing is exactly what the Lord's been saying for years in this house. And kingdom entrepreneurship is the way to do it in this house. What you have in your hand, stewardship is not about just taking care of and protecting. It's about multiplication. It's about multiplication, stewarding that. I, the Lord reminded me about it even this morning as I'm driving my son into church this morning. I'm like, you know what? You know the parable of the talents? We read the parable. I, had, I made him read the parable of the talents in the car. I was like, do you understand that you have talents that are to be multiplied? And they're being hidden right now. You know why I was laughing so hard right here when we, when we, when we launched off Sue and Christy is because the Lord said, you are unleashed now. Look out. You are unleashed. And that is what God is doing right now is he's taking the lid off of people and that mindset. And it may be one thing, we're a generous level at this place, but I'm talking, he's wanting millions to show up here. I'm not afraid to ask for millions anymore. 
Because I used to fight with that word. I'm being very honest right now. Like I used to fight with that word. I was like, well, it just says technically I'm going to be a prophetic consultant to millionaires and billionaires. Didn't necessarily say I was going to be a millionaire. But do you know that my family has constantly said, well, you're supposed to get millions, Cindy? And then I had another word about crazy rich Asians because <laughs> I'm Asian. And I got another word about crazy rich Asians. Or like I keep getting these words about millionaires and billionaires. And, and it, just kept, it just keeps coming until I finally was able to go, I'm going to be a debt-free millionaire. I'm going to fund and advance the kingdom of God. And I'm going to do it by putting it in your hands too. So I'm just calling you out right now. I just feel like the Lord is saying like, this is a word that has to be activated. Yeah. And it's not just by our giving. It's about stepping forth in that place of fear that says, come on, let's go. Let's grow business. Guys, I'm in here the third Monday of the month at 6 o'clock for two hours. And what did I do? David and them showed up. They were the only ones that showed up. So I gave them two hours of consulting on their business to go, let's go. Let's build it. Let's grow it. We got to deal with mindsets. We got to deal with heart stuff. That's usually the stuff that gets in the way in growing business, by the way. Always. Like, that's what I did for Pedro's inner healing, inner coaching, like, inner game stuff. But there is practical stuff to do to multiply what's in your hand. So I'm calling you out now. Now, the Lord is correcting me. I'm calling you up. I'm calling you up. So, Father, I thank you that there are kingdom entrepreneurs in this house. They may not think it right now, but you are declaring it right now. And so I thank you, Father, that you are showing us, you are stirring. I just feel it right now. There's people's hearts being burned right now. I'm going, but there's this thing, but there's this thing. And it's like, no more, no more lids, no more hesitation. The Lord is, he's given you a green light. He's like saying, let's go, let's deal with this. Let's multiply it, let's grow it. Because we're not looking for the handouts. We're not looking for someone on the outside. This is time for his people to step up and to step into wealth. So thank you, Father, that you're releasing it now. God, you're releasing it to the people who with childlike faith will trust you and will give you our two loaves and our fish. We'll give you our two loaves and our fish, whatever we've got, God. You multiply it. We will be faithful. But Lord, I thank you that you are severing fear from this right now, because it's perfect love. It's love that motivates every gift. It's love that motivates everything in the kingdom. And we love you, God, not mammon. This isn't about mammon. This isn't about the dollars. It's about what we get to do with the dollars. It's about how we get to partner with you, God. So we give you our loaves and our fish, and we thank you with joy because it's being accelerated. Lord, I ask that you steward these places in our hearts and our minds right now, that you deal with stuff inside us right now. As you've been dealing with us all weekend, getting us free, coming up to a higher level, Lord, of understanding and who we really are in you and what we're capable of through you, Jesus. It's time. It's time to get your house in order. It's time. It's time to step into the fullness of what you have for us. And it's not going to be 10 years. It's accelerated. It's accelerated right now. And we say yes to you, God. Whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, we say yes to you because we are focused and passionate, willing to pay any price to advance your kingdom in your name, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> That's a good word right there.
we're going to hang a few more minutes because you need to hear something about that's a that's a um, strategic to taking this region and this city and the world um, because it goes to the very core of freedom in Christ. Um, Joel Thornton is, I don't even know how to describe you other than you, you, you are one of the most understated but powerful people I've ever met. I think you, you tend to downplay yourself and deflect and things like that because of the humility that's inside of you. And that's why God's chosen you for this mission uh, that you're on of ending human trafficking in your lifetime. That's why the Lord says he can trust you. And so what we're going to take is just some time more for, I'm going to bring Joel up to share, and then we're going to pray and we're going to come in an agreement with what the Lord is doing because we're going to see something powerful. So Joel, why don't you go? Why don't you always welcome up Joel Thornton as he comes up? You know, I was raised a Baptist. I'm not sure I can start speaking at time to leave. But now that I've been exposed, headed to the bathroom. I'll let you know, I'm at that age where uh, when I think I need to go, I need to go. So if I walk out in the middle, it's because I felt the urge and I don't have the option of thinking, well, maybe I can hold it. <laughs> and I, I worked for a while at the Georgia Department of Education and um, we had a really contentious board meeting, and, and uh, I was a lot of the cause of it because that was my job, to create contention with the board, and, um, but seriously. And so after the meeting, before the next meeting, we had monthly meetings. Before the next meeting, I created a sign and gave it to all the board members. I just created a little page, and it said, for those of you whom I haven't offended yet, please be patient. I'll get to you. And I gave it all to them in an executive session. I'm giving that, that page to Charlie, and Charlie, you feel free to use it anytime you need to, okay? Um, this, is a really, this is a really, really dark world, and uh, if I leave you today depressed, I have failed in my mission, because the thing that I know more than anything is that God is serious about this. James says that pure religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans. And every human being that is being sexually trafficked in the world is technically an orphan. They can't get to their mother. They can't get to their father. They can't get to somebody they know. They can't get to a place of comfort. They're orphans on steroids. So when you start fighting human trafficking, you are doing the core of the gospel. I was in Lafayette, Louisiana. I went to speak about transgender issues because as an attorney, I work on the transgender issues and I represent parents. I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I represent parents whose children are being transitioned in the public schools without their permission and sometimes against their express permission. We've got four lawsuits filed around the country. We're about to file two more. It's happening all over the country, right here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. You know that there was a case out of the Dallas area with a father that we talked to for a while and almost represented. And I, I went out to speak on that issue, and right before I spoke, uh, the pastor, Bobby Richard, came up to me and just whispered to me. I had, a, I had a, an hour and 15-minute PowerPoint. I was so proud of myself. I made it myself. 
I quoted Chastity Bono in it, the great transgender authoritarian soul, the daughter of Sonny and Cher. You kids, that's a singer. It's the daughter of a singer. I was proud of it, and now I've got to talk about human trafficking. So I, I spent about 15 minutes in the middle of my hour, hour and a half, and, and talked about human trafficking, got back to the transgender stuff. Because I was going to finish that PowerPoint. I made it. I'm going to go through the whole thing. And they also let me start before lunchtime, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they owe you a thanks, because I'm going to talk really fast. And so when we get through, I open it up for questions, and every question was about human trafficking. Well, I'm a lawyer, and sometimes it's hard for me to hear God. Sometimes he, you know, we talked about the courts of, the courts of heaven. I'll be honest, I came here uh, to the courts of heaven conference because I thought we were going to play basketball with Michael Jordan. I mean, that's the courts of heaven to me. I was a little disappointed when MJ wasn't here, but it's probably best that I didn't play any basketball. So I, I, I walked away from that and I started praying. And the Lord, he doesn't speak to me directly a lot. He's spoken to me one time. I had a job. My boss called me and said, you screwed up this week, and you're going to do this and this, or you're fired. Your choice. And when he said it, I, I audibly heard the word no. I said, okay, I'll pray about it over the weekend. Went to my wife. And told her. And when I told her, she audibly heard the word no. So, okay, we'll pray the rest of the weekend, but we got our answer. So on Monday, he called me from his private jet and said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, the Lord told me to tell you no, I'm not moving. Well, well, now, I don't have a really good connection here. I can't hear you really well. Uh, this, this phone on this plane is not working really well. I, I'm, I'll call you when we land in D.C., about three hours later, he landed in D.C., and he'd worked out an alternate deal, and we were able to honor the Lord and keep the job on different terms, negotiating with a Jew. Yeah. That's one of the only times I've, I've just heard the Lord. I instinctively understand him. I instinctively understand what he wants me to do, but I don't, I don't hear him like, Charlie, I don't sit down and talk to him. I've never seen Jesus, and so far, I've never met anybody who's seen Jesus who's actually seen Jesus, because every time I do, my wife goes, what did he look like? And every one of them goes, well, you know, he, yeah, he, his eyes were bright, and you know, he had hair, and I said, no, was it brown hair? How long was it? But his presence is so powerful, he, I've, I've got one friend who's a Canadian pastor who says, I've seen Jesus about three times, and he looked different every time I saw him but there's a lot of light involved. There's a lot of intensity involved. But this day as I started praying about what do I need to be doing, I heard God tell me, if you will dedicate the rest of your life to fighting sex trafficking, I will give you the strategies to eradicate it, end it in your lifetime. Not in the next generation, not in this generation, in your lifetime. Now, we got to get busy. I'm 62 years old. 
Five and a half years ago, I had open heart surgery. I've been a diabetic on insulin for 42 years. Some days I can't feel my feet. I've had laser surgery in my eyes. I get shots in my eyes every six weeks. It's not as fun as it sounds. We've got to get busy, people. I'm not sure how much time i got, but we've got a lot of work to do. And I think I, it, there's a part of me that wants to say, there's a part of me that wants to say, let's just take our time because I'm kind of enjoying being here. But every day, we don't end sex trafficking. There are 25 to 40 million people in this world who are victims of human trafficking, labor and sex. About 4 to 5 million of those are, are sex trafficked victims. The average age that a human being is sex trafficked or becomes a prostitute voluntarily is 14. The life expectancy of a prostitute and a victim of sex trafficking is seven years. Not seven years and they retire. Seven years and they're dead. That means by 21, most of them are dead. They're going to die of sexually transmitted diseases. They're going to die of drug abuse, of, of alcohol abuse, of physical abuse, of emotional abuse. They're going to service 10 to 30 men a day, seven days a week with no breaks. 10 to 30 a day, seven days a week. And we all know who's buying sex, right? It's men. We're the culprits. We created the market. It's time for us to stand up. Most of these organizations around the world that are fighting human trafficking are a bunch of women and young ladies. God bless them. Where are the men? It's not that women can't do it. They can probably do it better. But we need some men. We need to be taking responsibility for this because there are not women out there buying sex. First of all, all you adults in the room know that a smart woman doesn't have to buy sex. She just has to look at her man. I'm channeling Charlie Coker now. <laughs> I want my sign back. In 2011, it generated $32 billion a year, the third largest organized criminal syndicate in the world. Not organized like the Godfather. Organized by, there's three guys over here, there's four guys over there, there's 30 guys down here, here's the cartels. It's what's going on at the southern border, you know it. Last year by October, there were 75,000 unaccompanied minors in the custody of our government on our side of the border from that year. That's not what's going to blow your mind. Most of them were for nice most of them were from nice middle class families in South America. Middle class Kids who grew up with shoes and pants and eating meals and living in houses. 
That's how great a country we've built. We've built a country so great that middle-class people are willing to disrupt their lives to get here. But our border being open is creating the ability to sex traffic. That's what this is all about. Because there's so much stinking money in it. In 2011, $32 billion a year. By 2019, with the whole world fighting this thing, the whole world, every celebrity you know from Aston Kutcher to, to Danica McKellar and everybody else, they're all fighting sex trafficking, and thank God they are. With all that attention to it, with organizations coming up all over the world, we managed to drive it from $32 billion all the way down to $150 billion a year. That's why we're trying to stop it. We're pruning their trees. We're taking their orchard and we're pruning the edges of the tree and making their trees more fruitful. I think the Lord showed me that the cartels are giving up the people that are sorry on their, on their groups and giving up the women that they've worn out and letting us feel good about what we're doing. We're making their businesses more healthy. There's got to be a better way to do this. And in the midst of that, God calls me to it. And if we could go ahead and start the PowerPoint. It's, it's about an hour and 28. I, listen, I was told I had to have you out in time to beat the Baptist to dinner. <laughs> dinner. The Baptists are fasting today for lunch. All the Mexican restaurants were closed at lunch yesterday. I just assumed they were closed again today. It is the Lord's Day, brother. The Lord told me as I started praying about this, I, I started talking to a friend of mine who is a pastor from Seattle, Washington that I represented in uh, Cologne, Germany when the Cologne government took their tax exempt status away from them and when the federal government of Germany declared them a dangerous sect and tried to shut them down. And he and I became friends back in the late 90s. And I called him. He's, he's prophetic. He was working for Morningstar at the time. He was in, in charge of their prayer movement on campus there in um, South Carolina. And so I called him and said, here's what the Lord's called me to. Would you pray with me? And he committed to praying with me every other week on Fridays for however long it took. He normally charges $5,000 a month to do that. He gave me a year and a half for free said the Lord told him to. He stopped after we got back from Israel. I'm going to jump to the end of the story. He stopped because he was driving with his wife to visit some family in Colorado, and they passed a huge billboard that said Thornton Exit because they were at Thornton, Colorado. Now he, his wife drives him everywhere. He doesn't have a clue where he is. And he looks up and sees that sign. God was speaking to him. He looks up and sees that sign and said, hmm, I think I may be through. I think I may have finished my assignment with Joel. So he calls me. while he's right as, Before he gets off the interstate, he's got me on the phone going, I'm done. He told me the story. But he, the Lord told him, if you'll go to Israel 
I'll give you the strategies. I'll begin to pour out the strategies. And, and the way he told him was he saw a vision of a tornado touching down in the, in the center of Jerusalem. He said, when it hit the ground, instead of destroying everything, I noticed that it was spinning out stuff. That objects were flying off of this tornado and landing on the ground. And people were walking over and picking them up and putting them in their pockets. And when I looked at it closer, it was revelations. It was strategies. It was patents. It was copyrights. It was worship songs. And Joel, God said, if we'll go to Jerusalem and Israel, he'll lay it out. So we did. In the middle of COVID. I got two shots of the vaccine because it was required. Ready to go to Israel and my vaccines had expired and I needed a third shot. But I didn't qualify for a third shot in America, only in Israel, but they wouldn't let me in without the third shot before I got there, but I couldn't get it. I moved this trip I had, I had airline tickets for this trip five times. The fourth time, I just said, forget it. I'm going to Greece and let God speak to me in Greece. I'm going somewhere because I'm going to hear something from God. I'll go get, follow the steps of Paul instead of the steps of Jesus because, you know, Paul's the man too. He'd be concerned about this. I feel confident. And right as I did, the day after I did, Israel opened back up and we changed our tickets and went to Israel. And so let's, um, this is the PowerPoint that kind of shows what, a little bit of what happened. That's looking out over Jerusalem. We're going to start, we're, part of what God's given me is the seven mountain mandate. We're going to attack this in all seven mountains of culture. We're not just going to attack it in one of the mountains or two of the mountains. We're going to do it all, but we're going to start where we're strongest, which is here. Because God told me the church has got to engage. Yes. Yes. Not this church. You're engaged. The church yes. has got to engage. If we don't become relevant to the culture, we will not exist in 20 years. We're arguing over pronouns. And nobody on the national level is going, well, we need to find out how the church feels about this. They don't care. They're telling the church how to feel. The Biden administration has a law that they're trying to put into place that, that doesn't exempt the church from this argument and makes the church liable if they don't give in to the, to the gender ideology movement. Stripping us of everything that we've been given from the founding of this country. Anyway, that's from the Mount of Olives looking into Jerusalem, which is God told me to set up a, to start an international prayer movement and start it from Jerusalem. Got a guy that I'm going to hire in the fall from Africa who left medical school to go to Israel to start working as a volunteer to prayer ministry, and he wants to come lead our prayer movement. We're going to bring him in in September, October. Let's keep going because if I were y'all, I'd want me to stop. But we're going to pray around the world. We're not just going to pray in Jerusalem. God has told us to set up prayer centers in cities that are citadels. Not good citadels like you are here, citadels of evil. Let's go right to the heart of it. Listen, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, and I'm, I, I can be very obnoxious. I have a nice softer shell than Charlie, but you get me upset. 
and we're going to talk about it. So I'm going to the heart of it. If, if Thessaloniki, Greece is the center of where human trafficking goes on in Europe, and it is, then we're going to have a prayer center there because we're going to go there and talk to the devil and tell him that he has no authority anymore. It's good that we learned about the courts of heaven yesterday because we're about to need them. We're going to inundate those courts with petitions to end this thing because it's a spiritual battle. Now, we've learned long ago that you can't just fight the spiritual battles. You've also got to fight the fleshly battles and the worldly battles and the physical battles. One without the other doesn't work. We're starting here. This is a prayer center. The pastor that Rob that I went to Israel with, he kept going, Joel, we just got to work with the 12 gates of Jerusalem. And I kept, I kept going, golly, this guy just, I think he's slipping. I kept going, Rob, there are eight gates to Jerusalem. I've counted them about 20 times because you keep saying 12, and there are eight gates. And he goes, I don't know. We're wandering around aimlessly and stumble on this prayer tower, and their model is they pray over the 12 gates of the heavenly Jerusalem and the countries that are in those gates. They have 24-hour they prayer, and they move from gate to gate to gate every two hours praying for space. And they have, a, they have a wall up here. That wall that you see down in that courtyard has the countries that are in the gates. So you can stand up on this prayer tower and pray. We're doing that. Let's keep going. Unity is critical. When we went to the Pool of Siloam, which is, has been, is at the city of David, the king that united Israel, I asked Pastor Rob to anoint me with oil and to ask God to give me an anointing for unity to bring these organizations together. Because this is a big task, and there's a whole lot of work to be done. Let's keep going. I have to try to read it. The bottom picture, we're in Capernaum, the town of Jesus, standing on the floor of the synagogue that's about 18 inches over the floor that Jesus stood on and opened the scrolls of Isaiah 61 and said, the Lord has anointed me to set the captives free. He prayed for Isaiah 61 anointing to come on me. The irony is, one Friday before, on Friday in December, we got on the phone, and he goes, hey, the Lord gave me a scripture for you today. He gave me Isaiah 61. I said, well, that's nice. That's a nice little birthday present. He says, your birthday? I said, yeah. He goes, really? Okay, well, this is your birthday present. I said, yeah, yeah, you don't know the half of it. Today's my 61st birthday. And God gave me this scripture. We prayed for that anointing. We prayed on the top picture. We went to Shiloh. The Ark of the Covenant stood in Shiloh, Israel, for 369 years. They built a, a temple for it. Not a temple. They built a tabernacle for it. It stood there longer than it did almost anywhere. It was the first place that the Ark of the Covenant stood. And when we got there, I said, I want you to pray that God would give me the anointing of Moses to set the captives free. And he said, why here? And I said, because this is the closest physically that Moses or something associated directly with Moses came to Israel that we know of. Because he never was allowed into the promised land. 
but he was the guy that God told how to build the ark. He put the mamma in there. He, manna. I read the Bible from time to time. I'm a lawyer. He put the tablets from the Ten Commandments in there. This is where he touched. And so he started praying and anointing me with the anointing of Moses to lead the captives out of captivity. And we, I thought we were done. And he goes, hey, wait a minute, Joel. Now we got to pray for you to have the anointing of Joshua to lead them into the promised land. So he prayed for me to have the anointing of Moses, the prophecy that you had last night. And then he prayed to have the anointing of Joshua as well. Let's keep going. This is one of my favorite places in Israel. It's called Banyas or Caesarea Philippi. If you remember your scripture, Jesus was in Capernaum, which is on the northern edge, the, literally the northern top of the Sea of Galilee. And he'd been getting bombarded because that's where he lived. He's dealing with centurions. He's dealing with Matthew's tax collecting people. He's dealing with everybody. And he's just exhausted, so they would draw to Caesarea Philippi. And this is the place where he asked his apostles, the disciples, who do men say that I am? Some say you're this. Some say you're that. Some, and then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You're Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Great are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Upon this rock I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. They were standing in front of this black hole behind me, which is known literally as the gates of hell. When Jesus told Peter, the gates of hell won't stand against this rep, the earth and inhabited the earth. There are, there are locations like this all over the world. There's one in Delphi, Greece, where the oracle of Delphi was, and there were demons that would come up out of there, and she would get all kinds of weird prophecies, and they would go and make sacrifices to her. Jesus was standing there. Here's how the gates of hell worked in pagan times, pre-Roman. They would take a child, and it's a big hole in the ground, and they would throw the child into the hole as a sacrifice. And there's a big stream that comes out of the bottom of this pit, it's all of the water. The Jordan River starts here. This is the beginning of the Jordan River. And they would have somebody down at the bottom where the water first comes out of the mountain. And if blood came out, the gods didn't accept their sacrifice and someone else had to go into the pit. It wasn't always children. It was also adults. And they would sacrifice people till they got no blood. That... It's where human sex trafficking comes from, out of that pit. Every time I go to this place, I put my hand on that wall right beside me, and I break the power of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I break the power of the death cults that it has created and the blood that has flown from Banyas, that has flown from the gates of hell, and I plant spiritually the tree of life, and I water it, and I nourish it, and I pray over it, and declare that rivers of living water are coming from this gate of hell. And we're going to shut this gate of hell down at some point. I'm not quitting until it's shut down. Because this is a spiritual battle. 
We're going to shut down Delphi. We're going to shut down Pergamum mentioned in the New Testament, the gates of hell. Those gates of hell from Pergamum, Turkey, are literally in a museum called the Pergamum Museum in Berlin, Germany. They built a building for it. You can climb up the gates of hell from Pergamum and you can stand over the hole where they had a statue of Moloch holding out his hands and they would place babies and fire would come out of the hole and devour the babies and turn them into ash and they would sacrifice their children at this gate of hell. We're going to close it. I love that place because I don't mind standing in the middle of the, of the devil's playground. I'm not, I'm not without fear. I have a lot of people praying for me. And we're praying for a, a hedge of invisibility. The Lord told us to pray to be hidden in plain sight because I'm not, I can't hide because part of the anointing God's given me is I'm going to stand in front of kings and presidents and parliaments and rulers and talk to them about how to handle this properly. And you can't hide and do that. But God can make me invisible. I'll be the, the Christian John Cena. <laughs> or the LSU lady. Yeah, either one. Okay, let's keep moving because supper's beckoning Charlie. Uh, Syria is right across the border from Israel. We went up there and prayed for the Syrian crisis. There are 5 million refugees from the Middle East and Syria, mostly Muslims. There are revivals breaking out in those camps, and Muslims are getting saved. There's no missionary in the camp. There's no Bible in the camp. There ain't no Jesus in the camp, except that he keeps showing up telling people who he is, and they keep getting saved. It, it's a good news and bad news story. Now they've got a fatwa on their head, which means they have a sentence of death from the Muslim council that runs the refugee camp. This is happening in Greece too. They're being raped, beaten, starved, can't get clothing, can't get tents, treated that way in, in Greece. We've asked the European Union to help, and they said, and the United Nations, and they both said, well, we can't really help because Christians aren't a persecuted minority. Of course, the only thing you can say that was, well, don't worry, we're working on it. We're doing our best to get here, buddy. Hang on a few years. We'll get here. So there are people in Greece where they're trying to get all of these refugees who don't want to be in Greece. They want to be in Germany. The Germans have said we've had enough. For all of this talk about open borders, the people who led the charge in open borders have closed all their borders. The Germans and the French and the British have said no more. We can't handle it. There's a rise in anti-Semitism all across Europe, and they're baffled. It must be the neo-Nazis are coming back. Neo-Nazis are a handful of redneck teenage boys that think it's cool to shave their head and scream, Heil Hitler. They're not tens of thousands of people. Now, they're a problem and need to be dealt with, but there's a rise in anti-Semitism in Europe because there's Muslims there that have never been there before, and they're devout because they've come straight out of the Middle East, and they've come usually with intention. We're in a war. The trouble is we don't know we're in the war. They do. 
Let's keep going. We, uh, this is the, the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount. You're not allowed to pray on the Temple Mount where the temple used to be. So every time I go up, I pray. Now, I don't kneel down. I don't raise my hands. I don't close my eyes. We don't grab hands. But I walk over to the Dome of the Rock. And on this occasion, that's Rob standing beside me. I walked over and put my hands on the wall and rebuked sex trafficking in the Islamic world. And Rob was standing back, and he said, Joel, I wish there was some way I could have captured this on video. When you placed your hands on the wall, blue lines of electricity shot out of your hands and covered that building and shot up into heaven. I don't necessarily want to see the third temple built, but I want to see that gone. Now, I'm not going to do anything to take it away if, if, any, if Jordan's listening. And I'm sure they are. Mark Zuckerberg will tell him. I know he's listening because I got my phone here. Mark Zuckerberg sucks. <laughs> we drove a stake in the ground. And we went by the embassy. We drove a stake in the ground to just declare. This is something that I, I grew up in the charismatic movement in the 70s. And we all went out in the yard and drove a stake in the ground and said, this is it. I'm stopping here. I ain't moving from here. So we did that right across from the Euro Israeli parliament. Now, we drove it deep enough in the ground, they'll have to hunt for it to find it because we, we didn't want the caretaker to just come out and go, somebody put a stick in the ground and take it out. But we did that. We prayed over it. Go to the next. We went by the American embassy where they got a big sign on the wall that says, built by Donald J. Trump. King Cyrus. He wasn't a godly king, but God redeemed Israel on his back. We prayed that I would have the anointing of King Cyrus. We went to the Eli Valley where David fought Goliath, and I went down in a, in a dried-up stream, steam, steam, stream bed. It was a place with water that sometimes runs through. I went down and picked six rocks. The Lord told me, David had five rocks. You know why he had five, right? Goliath had four brothers. David wasn't counting on missing. He went, well, I better get some extra ammunition because you never know with these things. I'm not that good. He's like, I just need four. Just four, right? So five. He needed five smooths. I told you I don't read it all the time. <laughs> he, Cinco. So he needed Cinco de Mayo. Okay. He needed five stones because he was going to hit them all. Of course, what you find out about giants and bullies is when you kill the first one, the rest of them leave. That's why guys like Jack Reacher go, well, I only see five of you. I only got to beat up three of you because two of you are going to run. And I think it's probably you and you. That's with bullies. This isn't rocket science. Then we went to the highest point we could find on Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem right outside the old city walls, which is this, this room is right over. It's not direct. If I'm taking this picture and behind my back is the roof to the upper room where they believe Jesus celebrated, where traditionally he celebrated the Last Supper and where the disciples were on the day of Pentecost. And he was anointing me with the kingly anointing to stand in front of kings. He had his staff with him. He took the staff and he cut it up and made it a come-apartable staff so he could bring it on the plane. And he was about to strike the staff on the ground and anoint me, and the clock struck 12. 
governmental authority. And he banged it, and the, first time, the second time he banged it, the staff fell apart because it was three pieces. And then he anointed me with the kingly anointing on Mount Zion where Israel anoints their kings. This is the preparation God had me do to be ready for this fight. Let's, let's see what other prizes we have. I went to, these are the eight gates of Jerusalem. I went and stood in each of these gates in the middle of the day with people walking by and read a three-paragraph declaration that we are ending human trafficking and we are claim, reclaiming the sacredness of the holy city of Jerusalem for Jesus Christ, and we will not tolerate the sin of sex trafficking from this place and out. And I read that at every one of these gates, including the eastern gate that the Muslims blocked up so Jesus can't come back into Israel or into Jerusalem when he returns because he's going to come back on the Mount of Olives. And I went to the other side of that gate and told Jesus that strategically, if he was worried about getting through the eastern gate, he could just come this way about half a mile and miss it and just land on the other side of it and be in Jerusalem. I know. It's getting late, so I'm about done. We went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and I prayed, and one of the things the Lord told me to pray was not my will but thine, and I literally asked God the words of Jesus, if it is possible, take this cup from me. You know, my kids are 28 and 21. I have grandkids and... Five or ten years, we're slow in my family. I had my first child at 35, my second child at 42. So we're slow. But I, I'd like to just stay. I've, I've spent my whole life since I was a kid dreaming of being a grandpa. And God has, has, is making a way that they will be a part of what we're doing so that I can be honored with my grandchildren. But I'd much rather be doing that than this and, and, and traveling around, spending. I, I just was in Greece for a week and a half, and now come home, and less than a week later, I'm here. My wife's looking at me like, are you nuts? You're going again? Let me at least clean your clothes before you go. And I prayed, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will but thine. And then, in a divine appointment, I stood around for 15 minutes and waited because while I'm praying here, right down the hill from us, Mike Huckabee's filming a television special. And I got to talk to Huckabee for 15 minutes by myself, with no handlers, nothing. And one of, the, one of his drivers said, you know, Mr. Thornton, I'm so sorry if he's just taking a long time. I said, are you kidding? If I had an appointment at his office, I'd wait longer than this to see him, and then I'd have to deal with 20 people. I'll take it. And I was able to tell him what we're doing and share it with him. Let's keep going. That's a good sign. That means we're at the end. This is Pastor Rob Robinson, a great prophet of God. He's told me a lot more that we'll talk about at other times. There's my email or my website. I put that up because one of the things we're doing is we're building an international prayer team. And what we're doing with that is we're asking people to commit to 15 minutes a week one 15-minute segment a week, not a day, a week. Wednesday, 2.15 a.m. Central Time. You can go on, my, on that website. You can click Join button, and it'll ask you to fill out the information. When you fill out that information, it sends an email to me. I send an email back to you, and we put you on our email list. And every week, 
I send out a prayer newsletter that talks about what we're all going to pray about this week to end human trafficking. Very short. Eddie gets it. You get it. It's, I mean, it's three paragraphs. It's, it's half a page. There's a donate button on it, but it's, it's not to raise money, and it doesn't talk about money. And I would encourage any of y'all that are interested in doing that to do that, because I think it's 625 or 34 15-minute slots in a week. I want 24-7 prayer to end human trafficking. I think praying individually, it's hard to pray more than about 15 minutes for something this dark and this deep. As a corporate body, you can pray for a couple hours over this when you've got people to help support you and keep you going. But I'm asking for 15 minutes of your time. Uh, go on our website, look at it. Feel free to communicate with me. My email address is joel at onevoiceinternational.com. Okay? I want to I end. God speaks to me through music. Sometimes it's Christian music. Sometimes it's secular music. He speaks to me through Bob Dylan. I know that's weird to most of you. Bob Dylan's a singer, by the way, songwriter. And um, Bob Dylan wrote a song back in the early 90s that he didn't release on an album, but ended up on a bootleg series. And um, it was a song about slavery in America. But typical of Bob Dylan, it was about a whole bunch of other stuff too. And I'm convinced to this day that Bob Dylan wrote that song for me. I'm not going to play that song. But I'm convinced he wrote it for me. It opens up with there's an arrow on the doorpost saying this land is condemned all the way from New Orleans to Jerusalem. God used that. When I started getting the call, God put that song in my head and said, start in Jerusalem. Build this from there. I have a guy in Jerusalem now that works for me full-time, mostly as a volunteer. But he's full-time with me, helping set these up. He sends out the newsletters. He helps write the newsletters. He's helping to put together our podcasts, which you can find on the website, all those things. In Jerusalem, and God did the backwards of the song. He said, when you get done in Jerusalem, I want you to come back to New Orleans. We had a phone call in between breakfast and this service with one of the, the queen in the spirit in human trafficking in the, in the United States and one of the queens in authority in the New Orleans area about coming down there and starting to set up a prayer movement and doing things in New Orleans to end it. New Orleans is the epicenter. It's the citadel of sin in this country, of demonic sin. It's not the centerpiece of human trafficking, but it's important spiritually to do something there. Uh, what I want us to do is I, I want you to just kind of close your eyes and listen to this song. But this is Stephen Curtis Chapman's song. It's an, it's an acoustic version, and it's, to me it's really powerful. He recorded it at Abbey Road Studios in the studio that the Beatles actually used. And he was overwhelmed emotionally by that experience. And you can feel it in the there's, it's an EP of four songs, but you can feel it in this song. And I want you to think about this because this is his song for the sake of the call. You probably heard it, but in light of what we're talking about now, I want you to hear that, and then I want to pray with you. So that's all you got to sit through, and we'll be done. Unless, of course, you want to just keep going on and on.
Nobody stood and applauded them So they knew from the start This road would not lead to fame All they really knew for sure Was Jesus had called to them He said, come follow me And they came with reckless abandon, they came. Empty nets lying there at the water's edge. Told a story that few could believe or none could explain. How some crazy fishermen agreed to go. talk about establishing an anti-human sex trafficking task force in New Brunswick to stop it in this region. I want to make the I-35 corridor from San Antonio to Austin a no-go zone for traffickers. We're not going to stop them. We're going to stop them from being here. We're going to make it too costly to drive through this community with sex traffic victims. We're going to make it too costly to set up a business here. And I, let me tell you, there's, there's no ends to what I will do. One of my favorite strategies for closing down porn shops are the guys who would stand in front of the porn shop and take pictures of everybody that would walk into them. I read about one guy that did it, and somebody said, well, brother, how do you pay for all that film? He goes, are you kidding? I don't even put film in the camera. This is back in the days before digital cameras. 
So you don't need film. You just got to point and shoot. And you'd be surprised at men that suddenly weren't going in that store. I don't mind embarrassing them. But the other thing that's coming out of this is God told us that he's going to bring a revival amongst traffickers. And that's going to start in this region. I'm speaking that prophetically right now. I've never thought about that. But the Lord's saying that. And we're laying the foundations for that today. And so what that means is that what the Lord told me originally was you can't just dig up the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and move on. You got to get the taproot out and then you got to replant the tree of life or the other tree comes back and is worse than it was to begin. So we're planting the tree of life here. And that's one of the things I would ask you all to pray as a team, as a church, as people, is to pray that the tree of life would grow here and from it would spring rivers of living water that destroy every evil thing that raises itself up against God, including sex trafficking. So let's stand and let me pray that over you. Then I'll turn it back over to your pastor, and I'm at your mercy. Father, I just thank you for this congregation. Lord, I thank you for the words that have been spoken over this weekend, for the power of the humility in this place, for the power of the righteous in this place, for the power of the citadel that you've already built in the spirit and that you're about to start building in the flesh. Father, we just believe right now in the name of Jesus that you are literally planting the tree of life in New Brunswick, and it's going to be such that this city will be known as a city where sin cannot dwell. Father, we speak forth the abundant fruit of that tree. We commit to pray for it. We commit to care for it. We commit to love it with the love of Jesus and to nourish it to maturity and to use it to take saplings off of and to take branches off of to create trees of life in other communities all around the world. Father, I thank you for the courage of this congregation. And I pray that you'll continue to pour out your spirit here in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord praise. So, um, I just want to tell you how proud of you guys I am because y'all understand that this isn't just about church as usual. This is about kingdom business. Right, and, and so when we said yes to Jesus, we said yes to his kingdom business, and, and that means that we're going to be engaging with topics that aren't just warm, cuddly stuff, because we're called to bring transformation. So what I want you to do is, he just prayed for us, I want you to extend your hand out, and we're just going to pray a blessing. Come here, Kelly. And it's just as a mama, too. I, I, we just say, Father, we thank you. We bless this man. We bless Joel, and I just bless his marriage, Lord God. I just bless Angel, Lord God, that she's she is in this uh, to win it as well with Joel. 
And I just declared the blessing of the Lord on it, Lord, that it, this was not the sacrifice of family in order to be able to see the fulfillment of your calling, but God, that his family is going to thrive and prosper, Lord God. And I just declare from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet right now, the wholeness of life, that same tree of life that he was releasing into the region, God, we just declare right now the release of that into his physical body right now, God. And we just declare right now, we speak to diabetes and command you to be healed in Jesus' name. We speak to his body. Now, and we command the full flow of blood up and down throughout his circulatory system, Lord. We just declare right now freedom to his eyes, Lord God, that as he's seen into the spirit, Lord God, even in his natural eyes, God, we begin to radiate, Lord, with your life, Lord God, that he'd see clearly, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord, that you're giving him strength to see the fulfillment of it. And I do declare that, that, that just like Moses, he had the vitality of life when he went, when he died, Lord God. And that's the same thing, Joel. You're going to finish this race many years from now, but you're going to finish in the vitality of life. And so we just add our yes to his yes. And we come alongside and we come behind him and we cover him now as a house in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we just declare the protection, the cover, and we add our resources of heaven and our promises and just have your way right now. Yeah. And I just hear the Lord say one more thing. As an elder in this city, as an elder in this region, I stand with you. As a representative of the ecclesia, not just legacy church, now the ecclesia, the governmental authority of the kingdom in this region, I extend the cover and the blessing and the yes. And I command the doors to open up in our city of yeses, of resources, of commitment. And we bring it into alignment now. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, come on. Well, just, I bless you. I just want to say real quick, if y'all wanted mine, would y'all just give a warm thanks to, to the brothers that were here, Charlie and Brian and Joel and Eddie, John, Ty, Randy. Yeah. And, yeah. and we did not take an offering, but I do want to encourage you, sow into it before you leave. Leave an offering for the Lord uh, and what he's doing. And so you can drop in the offering boxes. You can give online. It's put behind me. But so into it, we're going to be actually sowing money into uh, their lives and their ministries as well. So love you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com